0: Yeah, I think in a way, maybe it's been like an act of rebellion against the like, leave it at the door mentality uh, of like, I re- like I refuse to like, let myself be a ghost at work. Like I'm a person that's experienced emotions and, you know, I found out I was, I found out I was pregnant in the bathroom at work, you know, like life happens at work. Like, I think it's important to allow people who work in hospitality to be people um, and so, I, yeah, I think a lot of my storytelling has been a bit of an act of rebellion against against that. Hey,
1: everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris Laveau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me, whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Decoding Cocktails 2024. Here we go. Let's let's roll into it. Uh, I'm very excited today to be able to bring you a conversation with Alex Jump of Focus on Health. Alex and I had this conversation several months ago, and uh, I asked permission to kind of air it early in January. One, we're going to talk about uh, some alcohol-free stuff today, but we're also going to talk about with the ending of the year and beginning of a new one, a lot of us, in addition to, you know, saying, hey, I'm taking the month off. I want to drink less. I don't want to drink at all. um, Many of us, uh, it's just a time for reflection in general. And part of what I appreciated about Alex's story is that She looks at her life uh, not just as a spirits and mixology professional, but really as someone, uh, how does she bring her whole self in a way where she can still get her job done, but how does she bring that all to work? You'll hear it in part of our conversation today that, you know, when she moved to Denver many years ago, she was on her own, coming out of a relationship, and she started just talking about her own struggles with mental health more, and people really responded to it. And that kind of let her know that maybe it was okay to not just feel like she needed to be some, a bartender, but a whole person online. And so uh, hopefully good for all of us as we think about the type of person we want to be in a new year. Um, Beyond that, we'll talk about more industry-focused things like shift drinks. And when is drinking at work perhaps okay? And when should that be reevaluated how do we especially for those of us in the industry if we want this to be more of a profession what do we do to make sure we're taking it as seriously as possible when we're at work and of course having a good time with so much of alex's work being focused around alcohol-free spirits uh, and low and uh, low and no uh, low and no proof I'm tripping over the terms doesn't matter but She's going to talk about what do, how do we think about what is in the bottles of these alcohol-free spirits, and when we take them out beyond the ethanol itself, what do we need to perhaps put back into our alcohol-free drinks to ensure that they taste just as good as those with uh, booze in them? Alex is going to give you a couple of resources you can look at uh, for people you might want to follow online, some books. She is, of course, would be delighted, and Focus on Health would be delighted to help you out with any of your pressing needs. We're also going to get to something I think is just really important, too, that with the rising prevalence of uh, alcohol-free spirits, for, for me, myself, and for many people I see all the time, we're out having uh, an evening, and suddenly we just order one because we feel like we've gone far enough, or tonight we're laying back, and Alex is quick to say that a lot of bars are leaving money on the table if they don't have a nice array of alcohol free options. So something to think about for all the restaurateurs out there. Uh if you want to keep up with Alex, again there'll be links to all this many, many links today in the show notes. Uh, she is at uh so it's on Instagram is at AXL Jump and Focus on Health is at FO Health are those Instagram handles. So enjoy this conversation with Alex. <music> So Alex, a place that I was kind of curious to start, you know, is to the, the work you're, you're currently doing with focus on health, you know, sometimes life comes in and kind of like, you know, knocks us on the head in a pretty uh, uh, over the top way. And sometimes things are perpetually building to this, the work that you're currently doing. Was that something that was like a slow burn for you? Or how did this kind of first become feel like something that felt worth really giving yourself to in the, in the fullest of ways?
0: Um, I guess I'm more of a slow burn, but like a slow burn that then kind of like jumped up behind me and like spooked me, uh, like, uh, I didn't realize it was there. So, um, I guess it all started with me, not necessarily consciously, but just, you know, by, by not making any specific decision to do so, but just, on social media in my own way, starting to be very open about my struggles with mental health. Um, or in, and you know, maybe, maybe my successes too, just my experiences, I guess we'll say. Um, and that was like in 2000 and, um, 18 and 19. I I just went through a lot of personal life changes. I started working at Death and Company in Denver. We opened that bar in 2018. I broke up with a longtime boyfriend, uh, of six and a half years. And I moved into an apartment by myself and I was living alone for the first time ever in my entire life. Um, I'd always lived with family roommates or a boyfriend. Um, and I was living in a city that I was still pretty new to. And so, you know, it's like this just kind of like my life is, my life is kind of all about me for the first time. And I'm experiencing life in a different way as like a young adult living, in a new city and whatever. So, you know, I had, I just had a lot going on and just was very transparent about it on social media. And there wasn't really any like motive necessarily, except for as I, you know, as my career started at death and co, I started to notice that more people were paying attention to what I was doing online. And I just felt this kind of calling to, be more transparent about my mental health experiences because I wanted people in our industry to recognize and know that we're all human and we all kind of go through the same struggles no matter where we work or live or, you know, no matter what kind of perceived success we may have, we're all still human. So it was just really kind of natural. I would say like, oh, I went to therapy today or, you know, today was a good mental health day, today was terrible, whatever it was. um, So that went on for a while. And then really focus on health kind of came to be because of the most imaginative bartender competition and me being forced to recognize that even though I had been very vocal about my mental health and going to therapy, even though that had been something I was already doing, I hadn't looked at it more holistically and that like, I didn't have things that brought me joy outside of work. So I was, I had only taken like one step into this, like much more multifaceted journey of like (laughs) healing myself and like being well. Um, and so, yeah, focus on health kind of was not, I'm not forced to come to fruition, but was really kind of catapulted into fruition through the mib competition and pitching it for that but even then like i still was like half in half out i would say um where it was something that was important to me but also my career out like my career at the bar was also very important to me and so um you know lauren paler my business partner um at focus on health and I have a really open and honest relationship. And so I told her very transparently, um, at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, that like, I didn't have the bandwidth to, to do both. So I actually stepped away from focus on health and was still like, in you know, involved, but it was really her company. And she, she brought it to where it was by end of 2022. Um, and so in that way, it was like a slow burn. Um, but then, by 2020, end of 2022, I had, well, really by early 2022, I had realized that there was more there that I was very interested in and that I, you know, I could maybe have everything, um, like I could have everything that I wanted without the guilt of choosing what I wanted or like choosing me. And so then I realized that you know I did want to like give my all to focus on health and to the passions that I have around like well-being. Um so I started looking into ways to make that happen. So I quit my job, I went freelance, I started doing consulting work so that I could also take back on the kind of full workload of FOH, which worked out really well for me and LP because around that time is when Drinkmasters came out. So it was like our positions completely flipped where she kind of no longer had the bandwidth and I was ready to take it back on. And that was um that was, you know, really great for us. Um, and then I wanted to figure out how I could professionally move in that direction too. So I like looked into a couple of different programs around well being, some that were like um certificate-based, and and then ultimately decided to go back to grad school to get a master's in public health, uh, concentrating in population mental health and well-being, so that I could push that boundary a little bit further. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer to your question.
1: Personally, I think that's a great answer. Uh, so a quick thing, yeah, I, I don't know that you would have continued such a thing if it w- didn't feel validating. But I know for some people, and part of it is we have to have the, the courage ourselves to do it, but for sharing those things that like, and again, you know, I got, we, I talk with my parents about the fact that, you know, people didn't talk about going to therapy, even if they did go to therapy when they were growing up, you know? yeah, And as you shared those things, did you, do you ever feel like, I mean, cause the internet can be both a, a generous and a, uh, you know, an uncaring place. Like, d- was it a thing where you just try to like block out any, you know, Hey, let's get back to making drinks. Or how did you find the reception to that just for other people out there who could be thinking about sharing whatever angle of their story that doesn't feel so centric to oh, like-
0: aligned. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really, I'm really lucky people were very receptive to it. And what I what I honestly found, and what gave me the courage to pursue focus on health was that, as I started sharing my experiences, I really found a community of people who who needed to hear it or wanted to hear it or just appreciated that somebody else was sharing it because it helped them feel less alone. And so a lot of people would reach out and say, like, I really appreciate you sharing that experience because I've been going through something similar and it made me feel less alone or like you sharing your experience made me feel more comfortable sharing mine um, or whatever it may be. And so that gave me that was a lot of really positive feedback that helped me feel very comfortable in in moving forward with that uh, I think I'm also just like a naturally I'm a pretty open person. um, and so that may you know what's right for me may not be right for other people. and there are certainly things that I shared online that like you know my like my mother or you know, my parents were like maybe felt like were a step beyond what they you know what they wanted me to share, not because. They didn't want me to be my authentic self, but because they were afraid that, you know, somebody would use it against me or, you know, like, like, so for instance, um, like I've been very vocal on social media about the fact that I got an abortion, uh, in 2019. Um, and that's something that I felt very compelled to share because very similar to, you know, mental health. Um, I think that a lot of people go through those experiences by themselves and feeling like they don't have anybody that can relate to them. Um, and so I felt very compelled to share, share that experience and like that experience specifically, like my mother was like, not thrilled that I shared and not because, you know, I mean, well, it is private and she was obviously like, you are allowed to have a private life, but more specifically, she was worried that somebody would try to hurt me. Um, and so, you know, like I, but I'm okay with sharing that. And I don't think that that means that everyone should feel like they have to share things that are very private if that's. Something they want to keep private, that's okay, too. But for me, I found a lot of power in being able to create a community around me that that wanted those stories. Um and i've I guess I've just found a lot of power in storytelling in general. And I, we've incorporated a lot of that into focus on health. Um, just storytelling allows people to heal. and it allows communities to, like, create a better future and i think that without telling our stories then nothing will change you know nothing will get better so i think it's important
1: agreed i think uh we 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 all you know at times feel on our our island and i i i love that you guys have taken this approach because yeah it's like we are people of the industry and yet we are people at the same time and things that we have brought to work you know from childhood from life or things that are happening at work are all the things that dictate how you behave then and later and feel. And I think it's wonderful that we are talking about how do we hopefully make this because we want to talk about how do we make this a more sustainable career financially and whatnot, but also it's like, how do you make it so it's not so taxing on the body, but also on the soul?
0: Yeah. I think in a way, maybe it's been like an act of rebellion against the like, leave it at the door mentality uh, of like, I like, I refuse to like, let myself be a ghost at work. Like I'm a person that's experienced emotions and, you know, I found out I was, I found out I was pregnant in the bathroom at work, you know, like life happens at work. Like, I think it's important to allow people who work in hospitality to be people. Um, and so I, yeah, I think a lot of my storytelling has been a bit of an act of rebellion against, against that.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, Oh, there's a book I'm thinking of and I'll, if I don't remember it, I'll, I'll send it to you. Cause it's, it's, it's an, it's an interesting take on things, but, um, but yeah, it's like you could, you can still be a professional when you're interacting with the guest, but to act like you can just shut it down at the door, it's like, no, it's, it's still in there. Um, it's just a question of how are you coping with that, managing that, uh, irrespective of if you still need to, to the guest, hopefully try to be a good person but realize like that is still very much inside you at that point in time.
0: Yeah. Well, you are better equipped to navigate like any um like emotional circumstances that you may be dealing with if you're able to recognize like uh, the things that are impacting that, you know, like you're better you have better tools to, you know, handle how a rude guest speaks to you if you can also recognize within yourself if you are like having an emotional day or a bad mental health day, you know, like you need to be able to recognize those things in order to appropriately react to situations that are happening at work.
1: Mm-hmm. If, um and if, you know, a brand or a bar group wants to bring you guys in for kind of just like an introductory to focus on health, is there a way you kind of begin to talk to people, you know, broadly in the industry about things they should be watching out for things that should be incorporated at work. How do you guys begin to kind of discuss the the suite of things that people we should be looking at to maintain a good environment at work, if that's even the way you would ask the question?
0: Yeah, you know, we've done some work with a couple of brands in the past in that realm. Um, and one thing that I'll say is that like, we're not currently mental health professionals. Um, And it's really important to us that we, while, while like lived experience is very important and you can't, there's no way to, there's no way to replace like lived experience. We also think that education is really important. So we work with subject matter experts. If we're, you know, anytime we're engaging in anything that is trying to teach about mental health or well being, you know, we would like to take both the lived experience and, uh, you know, subject matter expert route. So, um, in the past, you know, we've done conversations around, um, mental health and burnout and work-life balance and mindful consumption and collaborated with healthy poor, um, Laura Louise green of healthy poor to create programming that, you know, we're qualified to talk about. Um, we really, lo- really like taking that approach. Um, we, talk a lot about like company values, looking at like how company culture is set up because, you know, oftentimes like you're not going to be able to to achieve these goals of like wanting to make sure that your staff are well if you aren't thinking about your company values and your company culture and then incorporating it from the top down. So those are two places that we would start.
1: So knowing I remember one of your podcast conversations with the death and co crew, and you talked about that the, that the company did have a professed set of values. Are there, and values can be a a long exercise, but in terms of like, because it's easy to like, you know, print it on the wall, right? We all know that. But are the, are there the general, are, are there any thoughts you would offer for a bar of how do they stress test to make sure they're actually living those values? Are there, are there the ways that you guys kind of think about how do you make sure that they're actually, even if they've thought about it, that they are living it as opposed to just the easy preaching job?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is like taking leadership or ownership and getting together and, and truly writing them down and defining them. Um, it's a, that's a really important exercise and ensuring that like each one is different and has a purpose of like, you know, of being there. Um, and you know, I think that there's like probably a perfect number of values, like having more than five is probably too many. Um, and having, you know, less than two is probably too few. Like, I think probably the two to five range is probably the right number of values for any given company. Um, And so, you know, each one should have like very distinct purpose of why it's there and should have a definition. Like you should know what it means. Like, it shouldn't just be like an empty word. Uh, You know, like it shouldn't just be like excellence. Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Excellence in which way? Um, You know, so not only should it be like a word or a phrase, but it should be defined. Um, And then from there, I think, you know, like there's a lot of great ways to incorporate that in, and ensure that it's not just something you say, that it's something you do. I think some of the ways that you do that are like when you're providing feedback um, to employees that you're incorporating those values. Like every feedback you provide should be coming from a place of those values, both positive and constructive. Um, you know, one of the things that Death & Company did at our company meetings Um, They have like uh, between quarterly and biannually, they have an all company like virtual meeting and they start those meetings by having shout outs to staff and people that are excelling at each of the specific values, you know, uh, providing public uh, praise that are associated to values. Um, I also think ensuring that your staff are educated on what those values are so when you onboard people telling them specifically these are our values these are what they mean and then ensuring that your staff are empowered to provide the company feedback based on those values and hold the company accountable as well if you you know if you're going to have values then not only should you hold your staff accountable to them but your staff should hold you accountable to them as well um and I, I think you know every so often you should be reevaluating those values and ensuring that they are still in line with your company mission. Um, And it's okay to update them if they're not, you know? Um, I think that's a great place to start. I think if you are a company that doesn't have values and you feel very lost, uh, one more time, I'm just gonna shout out Healthy Poor is consulting, you know, on these things and can come in and create company values with you based on your company's mission and goals.
1: Well, first we'll be sure to link to healthy poor in the show notes. And yeah, I, oh, there was something you said that I, yeah, I think in our industry, as we have grown and continue to grow it up, one of the things that is so seemingly common is like, oh, so-and-so called in, like what, what, you know, extra can we get to fill in or, you know, hiring somebody and like put them on the line right away. Right. And Mm -hmm. you clearly need to make sure you can, take care of the guests that are coming in, but, you know, how many businesses really have any proper onboarding because they're so used to just waters coming over the side of the boat. And so just- Hire now, yeah. Yes. And clearly we need to make sure we don't have conditions when you lose someone that that the rest of the staff can't manage, but um, yeah, reactive, fast hiring, I'm sure is a great way to make sure that things continue to spiral at that point.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky place to be in. Uh, it's kind of like a lose-lose situation uh, that I've put a lot of thought into how could it be better for this industry? Because my partner also owns two bars in Denver and especially through COVID, like a lot of bars were struggling with the same thing, which was people being out sick all of the time. And inevitably the people that ended up having to cover those shifts were, were managers and they got the brunt of, you know, the extra hours, the you know, the extra shifts, the working positions that you know made them less effective at the work they were actually supposed to be doing. And so I thought a lot about like how do we fix this? Um, and I don't have an answer to that right now, but you know, it is really tricky because you don't want to be overstaffed because then your staff aren't making money. You, you know, you like not it. Some for some people, maybe it makes sense to have somebody that's like an on-call part-time person who also has a different job and is chill to just take work as it comes but that doesn't work for everyone you know you can't just rely on your managers to cover shifts all the time because then they're not able to do their manager work um so i don't know i don't know what the solution is to that but i acknowledge that it is like a it's something that requires like a creative fix
1: Mm -hmm. i want to talk about uh Zero proof, no and low in a minute, but I'm curious. And there's obviously in life, there's really never a one size fits all answer. But as we think more and more about healthy workplaces, healthy workforce, are there, how do you encourage people to begin to think about shift drinks or drinking at work? Because obviously, sometimes this, you know, it doesn't, it can, alcohol makes you more of who you are and uh, it can always uh, kind of like amp things up. So are there ways that you guys tend to, find yourself having conversations with people about this.
0: A lot of the things that make this industry very, very exciting and fun are that we get to do things that a lot of other people don't get to do and call it work. Um, Some of the culture that's related that's like come from that is tricky at times, you know, there's no like good way to put it. Um, And I think that we probably need to reevaluate a lot of those relationships. And I think alcohol is probably the biggest one, um you know what other industry are you like you know do you expect to be given a free alcoholic beverage at the end of your work day um none <laughs> there's no other industry where you know it would be expected um to be given a free alcoholic beverage when you clock out um I think that you know shift drinks unfortunately are leading to a lot of very dangerous situations for people who work in hospitality. Um, Oftentimes people that are closing down the bar are there without like a manager present, or there's a manager present there who is partaking and creating dangerous workplaces in a different way. But, you know, there's not a lot of supervision and there can be a lot of overconsumption beyond the like one allowable shift beverage. Um, so we're we're kind of creating spaces for ourselves that are very dangerous and we're unwilling to give them up because of principle or what we think we deserve. Um, and would rather hold on to these kind of troubled uh, you know, spaces that are putting us in danger. Um, I was talking to um, I think I, I was saying this to somebody else the other day, and I'm I'm pretty sure that it was Chris Alford and a new um from seattle who owned a handful of bars we did a pop-up at Winds tavern in march which they just closed unfortunately but i think that it was it was them that was saying this and if it wasn't you guys i'm sorry for saying that it was um but i'm pretty sure it was uh and they were saying we don't do sh- you know we don't do shift drinks like why would we what we're gonna give you an alcoholic beverage and then just like send you out off on your way to like drive home or you know whatever like that doesn't make you know go have a drink somewhere else uh I think that that's completely reasonable I think that we should probably you know grow up a little bit and like rethink what is important to us um uh there's a uh restaurant in Chattanooga or in oh my gosh I just said Chattanooga like that's where I still live. Denver <laughs> I lived here for seven years there are, there's a restaurant in Denver that stopped doing shift drinks and they calculated the money that they were saving and they put that money into a staff fund that could provide other benefits and all of their staff, you know, kind of signed on to that. Um, I think that that's amazing and a very mu- a much better way to allocate resources and provide people what they need. Um, yeah, I, me personally, like I, I reevaluated my own relationship with alcohol at work in 2000 and early 2019. Um, because of a coworker who really kind of like snapped me into reality really quickly about what it meant to be a professional, what it meant to be, you know, the best, which was very important to me. Uh, and so that was a pretty easy decision for me to stop drinking on shift. Um, I never drank a lot on shift, but, um, you know, if somebody wanted to have a shot, I would take a shot of dry vermouth and pour them the whiskey or whatever they wanted. Um, and I just stopped doing that because I realized that what was more important to me, um, and also i you know i think like as we move up into management roles in the industry there's a lot of you know uh there's a lot of breaking down of relationships that we need to figure out and unfortunately a lot of people who end up in management roles in our industry don't have proper boundaries with their staff um and then so drinking on top of that like makes things very complicated and and more difficult for us
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, running a younger operation that teaches classes, I mean, while it's not, I guess, hard and fast, like 98.5% of the time, like, yeah, it's like I'm showing somebody how to make something, uh, and then it just, you know, they can have it if they want, or it goes down the drain, because I'm like, you know, even one, yeah, it can begin to, like, alter you, but the, I think for me, it's just like, you know, it's it's easier to practice, like, yes or no, as opposed to, like, kind of this gray, this gray area of like, are we having some, how much are we having? It's like, it's just easier to have that, that red line of like, I'm, I'm working. No, you just don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think a lot of us in our industry maybe need that hard line a little bit more.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I was at a, uh, went out for a burger last night and not, I mean, you don't know, teach their own, but yeah, I was in this bar last night and, uh, uh, good burger, but yeah, the staff, you know, it was 6 p.m. and they seem to be kind of getting after it. And I was like, okay, I was like, here we are. So, uh, so yeah, plenty, plenty of, plenty of room for improvement potentially at times. Um, so, you know, with obviously the rise in demand for no and low and zero proof beverages, one of the things I was just first interested to think about was, you know, it could just be that that people were shunning it, but why do you think it was that we were just so bad at zero proof drinks for so long? Because I mean, yeah, like, I mean, uh, you know, not only the term mocktail, as we always talk about, it's like, oh, like, it's it's preceded by the word mock, but also, like, it, they they do have this reputation of just being, you know, just sweet garbage. And is it, so, one, we have obviously gotten better at mixology, period, over the past 25, 30 years. But... Did people just not see demand or wh- why were we so bad at it for so long do you think?
0: I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things. Like I I do think that we thought that there wasn't demand because it was nobody no one was asking, but it's not because they weren't wanting it, it's because they thought it didn't exist um or they didn't want to make a scene about it. Um I think as far as the development part goes, uh I think it's a lot of things. Uh I think a lack of tools like not having ingredients and not having things that help you see the diversity of what's possible that can you know that you know in 2000 and 2018 in the united states well we'll say 2017 before seed lip was introduced to the united states 2017 if you wanted to make a dynamic non-alcoholic you know boozy spiritous version of a non-alcoholic cocktail you had teas which you probably didn't have already steeped you know you needed to m- make a hot oversteeped black tea and then cool it down very quickly to create some kind of like tannic stirred beverage you just didn't have any tools available uh and so if you weren't the aviary uh, you probably didn't have the resources that you needed to create your own,
1: uh-huh.
0: <clears throat> and so I'm not. I'm not saying that's necessarily an excuse. I think that a lot of people should have been figuring out ways to make good non-alcoholic drinks. It certainly would have been possible. You know, like you could have made a oversteeped black tea, old-fashioned, and had a small batch of it you know, but it's just, yeah, I think there was a lack of creativity, lack of thoughtfulness about it, a lack of tools available. Um, And so we hadn't really like tapped into our minds of like thinking about what was possible. And then I think in 2018, when Seedlip came to market, that changed a lot of things for a a lot of bars, not everyone, um, but it started to open the door, I think, and make people think about what could be done. Mm-hmm. and then has like snowballed from there and now it's like oh of course these people have always existed of course these people have always wanted non-alcoholic cocktails like um of course they'd like something other than a strawberry lemonade um of course they'd like something in a coupe glass and not a uh, collins with crushed ice or you know right. whatever it may be
1: alex when it comes to like in obviously the the principles that we've seen like the rules of like the the codex was very informative for me in my early days in terms of helping me just think about like, what are the general rules governing at least a lot of cocktails? Um, so when we take the spirit out of a traditional sour cocktail, for example, in addition to losing the actual ethanol, we're really kind of losing that, that bite, uh, that like, you know, the, the astringency there. And so when we think about what you know and obviously there can be a huge diversity of of, of answers here, so I don't know if you if there's a way you think about this, but when we think about tea or what seed lip, the part of what they're bringing in addition to flavors, they're kind of bringing a dryness like a bite that is we're losing with the booze. Is that kind of how people need to think about like what are these bottles or teas rendering to the drink mm-hmm. is there is there a good way to answer that,
0: yeah. <clears throat> So when you take alcohol out of a cocktail, you do lose the ethanol, you lose the alcohol, but you also lose sugar, um, you lose viscosity in body. Um, and with a lot of non-alcoholic spirits, unfortunately, you're still not getting that back. Uh, you know, because all the non-alcoholic distilled spirits are distilled non-alcoholic products. So they're, you know, water That's what that is, is water. Um, (laughs) And so you don't have, you know, those products don't have sugar in them. You know, seed lip is just water with, you know, that has been very, very, very highly flavored. Um, You don't have body still, but what you do have is the flavor profile that you're looking to build off of. Um, And so you still have to think about how to replace the thing that you're missing but what the non-alcoholic products give you the power to do is build off of a flavor profile. Um, there are non-alcoholic products that do have viscosity in body, and those are compounds. Uh, so they're products that have been compounded with a variety of different concentrates and extracts and teas and whatever, what whatever may have you, um, and they may or may not contain any non-alcoholic distilled products in them too and so those are things like three spirit um pathfinder and actually you know what we'll, we could put like the ritual aperitif into that category too
1: i do find that a lot of the <clears throat> ap- aperitifs like uh, tend to really bring that like true yeah. body right yeah now. okay because
0: mm-hmm. you're gonna you know you have to because that's how you're gonna get that flavor um yeah. and you know so so when you're making a non-alcoholic cocktail now, that's something you can think about is, do I want to use a product that is a compound that has the viscosity that I'm looking for and then build my drink off of that? Or do I want to use a product that is a non-alcoholic distillate and then figure out how to reincorporate the body? Or do I want to use the two of them together? And then like, I'm getting both. Um the other thing that non-alcoholic, some non-alcoholic products do is that they do incorporate capsaicin into their product to give it that heat, that bite that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, to to kind of mimic the feeling of drinking alcohol. Um,
1: I've noticed that, yeah, in Bear's Reposado in particular, it has like definitely that 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 heat to it right there. If you were with Ritual, just for example, making a basic whiskey sour, so. Is there anything, Alex, and obviously many times you can have egg white and other things in a cocktail, but are there things beyond the ritual, the lemon, the sugar for the most basic of sour you would begin to think about adding to kind of give it more viscosity? Or do you feel like it, it's rendered with that, the denser sugar that might potentially give that body a little bit?
0: Yeah, I would probably use a richer simple syrup in that drink to make sure that it has the body. And like, I would probably use an egg white or an egg white substitute in a non alk sour, just to make sure that it's getting the body it needs in a whiskey sour specifically. Right. Um, And then I would, of course, use all the bitter non-alcoholic aromatic bitters. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And I could, I'll look this up. I'll link out to it. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. I'll I'll look up what some of the NA bitters are. That's that'd be helpful yeah. as well, right?
0: That there. yeah, all the bitter. They're the they're kind of like the newest ones on the market, and they are delightful. They're okay, so great. That's great. Yeah.
1: Obviously, for someone that is in for for someone that is in recovery, whether or not a dash of bitters is going to trigger something for them, it's more the idea that we don't want to send them into like panic over. A problem because obviously, a dash is you know, imparting basically nothing. Mm-hmm. but I, yeah, it's I think deeply it's deeply personal, yeah, it's more the consideration of, yeah, yep, understood, yeah.
0: I think that it's just a place that where people should have a conversation. If you don't carry non-alcoholic bitters at your bar, then you know, you should it should be something that is discussed with people that are, you know, ordering a non-alcoholic beverage and make sure that that they are okay with it. And if they're not, then you should be okay with taking them out. Um, but I don't think it's something that should be assumed just like how, like if somebody orders a whiskey sour, I don't think you should assume that they're okay with an egg white in it. I think that, that you should, you know, you should confirm, are you okay with an egg white in that whiskey sour? You know, like, because of like a standard whiskey sour, doesn't actually have egg white in it. That's, you know, that's a whiskey silver sour. Um, if we're going to be like a nerd about it, um, you know, so it's, it's just taking into that consideration and like recognizing that, um, everyone's preferences are different and they're allowed to have those preferences and you need to be considered and ask. Um, there's a really awesome bar in Seattle called life on Mars that they actually put the ABV uh percentage of every drink on their, on their menu. Um, they calculate it for each one. And so like they in the past have had like a non-alcoholic cocktail that had two dashes of like Fino sherry in it. And they, you know, list it on the menu and they incorporate that into the calculation of the ABV and then they list that on the menu.
1: Yeah. And that's been a conversation I've had with a couple of people before and I actually wrote something on it too with a a woman I met here in St. Louis. Uh, We've run into the places before. Yeah. Cause obviously the term non-alcoholic means, you know, you know, 0.5 or lower, Mm -hmm. but places that it's great as there's the ascent of these that, that places that do have, oh, there's, a red wine syrup in this or whatever and it's like you can't call that zero proof or we need to be very clear about what that is just to make sure that it, as long as we're communicating clearly then everything's good yeah. but but um but just cuz something is without a spirit you know we need to be very careful about how the, the guest is is hearing that
0: totally yeah yeah and you like maybe wanna i don't know figure out how you can figure out how much abv is left in that wine syrup that you made I'm sure sure there's a way to, you know, there's probably like a cook it for this long to, I don't know, but would be good to make sure that your prep people are doing it right. And not just Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) you know, whisking sugar into a Cabernet and (laughs) calling it
1: a day. Calling it a day. Exactly. Um, So at this point in time, when you're consulting on or thinking about like where the no and low market is and where it's headed, are there hurdles? Is it all upside from here? How do you think about like the future of no and low at this point, knowing that none of us has a crystal ball, but where, where do you think things are headed in your, in your mind?
0: Yeah. I mean, we may not have a crystal ball, but there are some like, you know, um, analytics companies that have a closer to a, a crystal bar ball. And, um, you know, they don't see any slowdown in the growth of this category. Um, they see it only going up and they lump no and low together in one, but they are able to kind of differentiate between the two. And I think that like right now, and for the next few years, like non-alcoholic is a, is contributing to 90% of the market growth for the no and low category. So it's all non-alcoholic that is really driving that growth right now. Um, so really like I only see it continuing. I think that we'll see a lot more brands come to market. And then, you know, in five years or so, we'll see it level out in the ones that the ones that stick around versus the ones that don't, kind of just like any like big trend boom. Um, you know, just like salt like seltzers we saw a few years ago. Um and then I hope that we start to see more on premise and off and off-premise to to be honest, but we'll start seeing more on premise people taking it more seriously and, uh, incorporating it into their programs. And then, you know, off premise creating spaces where clientele can find those products to buy them at home. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done in educating the trade on what these products are and how they're made and how to use them. Uh, and then when that's done, there will be a lot of work to educate the consumer and how to use it as well.
1: Or. You know, bars like it's it's interesting. I know bars that like are very capable at making great zero-proof drinks, but they don't really call them out as much directly. Um, or obviously you have places that uh maybe they they carry odules or whatever, but uh you know, you need it you need the vibe to fit your bar. Um so one, obviously I guess if people are thinking about how do I create a menu, one, I'm sure Alex would be very happy to take your phone call and uh yeah. help you build something, but um <clears throat> Are there resources on the focus on health side or are there general places you would start reading or listening if you were a restaurateur or a bar owner in terms of how do I think about beginning to add a zero-proof program to my bar?
0: Yeah, there are some resources. There aren't a ton right now. So Derek Brown in the United States, his company is called Positive Damage. He does a lot of social media promotion around non-alcs. So that's a good place. If you just want to start seeing some of it in your feed Um, as well, Camille vital in uh, the UK, uh, she has a uh, company called um, La Maison wellness. Similarly, she does a lot of social media posting around this category and then she does consulting work too. Um, So those are two where, you know, just follow them and you'll maybe start to see a bit more of it integrated into your algorithm um, Derek also wrote a book called mindful mixology. So if you're running some inspiration for recipes, that's a great place to go. I know Ian, uh, the owner of all the bitter, he's actually working on another non-alcoholic cocktail book right now, which hopefully will come out soon. So that'll be one to keep an eye out for. Um, of course the aviary has their non-alcoholic book, which is m- maybe a bit more labor intensive or prep intensive than some people have the resources to do. But if you're looking for inspiration, that's a place, great place to go to. Um, and then, yeah, there are, uh, there are lots of people working in consulting such as myself, uh, and, and others that, um, you know, specialize in that. So if, you know, you really feel like you're at an impasse and you don't know how to move forward, uh, we are available, you know, uh, myself, Joshua Gandhi on the focus on health team in Columbus, he does non-alcoholic consulting, um, Shannon, Uh, Michelle in Jacksonville on the Mover and Shaker team. She does non alcoholic consulting as well. Um, So there are a lot of people that specialize in that.
1: Mm -hmm. For people, obviously, like, you know, in the the spread of products available can vary dramatically by market. But, you know, when it comes to no and low spirits or the however, however you've categorized them, like, one, I have found some of the NA bidders to be very easy to work with in terms of conveying that, that body right there. But if you're thinking about adding something to a home shelf, one, as we talked about like, Oh, maybe use a traditional sour, but a richer syrup, maybe an egg white or egg white substitute, you know, feel free to mention brands or not, but are there ways that people wanted to kind of think about putting a thing or two on their shelf at home? Are there in some of its taste profile, but just any suggestions for people if they want to build out their, 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 their cabinet at home?
0: Yeah. So I like to keep it really simple at home. Uh, so for me, having like uh, the Martini E. Rossi non-alcoholic products, so they have the Floreal and the Vibrante. Um, the Floreal is like a really pretty floral uh, liqueur, non-alcoholic. Um, so it can kind of live in the St. Germain realm, but it's not as elder flowery. It has a little bit more dimension. Uh, and then the Vibrante is more like a red bitter, Um, Those are both great because they're good, just topped with like a tonic or a soda water or a croix or whatever you might have in your fridge. Um, I also, um, I love the three spirit products because they are really dynamic and can just be topped with something easy Um, and they're a bit more esoteric. And so they're not like a, they're not a swap for swap, Um, you know they're creating their own flavor profile basically. So they have three, the livener which is like an aperitif with like watermelon vibes, uh the social elixir which is probably my favorite and it's um kind of has some like grapey, resin, raisiny notes um with some cacao. Uh, uh and I really like to use it in place of like a sweet vermouth or a sherry in a non-alcoholic cocktail, so if you really like um like Manhattan's that's a good place to kind of start playing with that and then the nightcap which uh is a bit more oaky and has some like ginger and lemon balm notes uh and is uh it is not a whiskey substitute but it plays really well in drinks that would normally use whiskey so it's a good one to have too um and then I like to have just some more like more esoteric flavor profiles on my home bar because I like to play with those in other drinks like both low ABV and non elk, so like I always have seedlip on my bar because I love the garden specifically it's like one of my favorites um, I really like pentire which is coming from the UK I think from Cornwall um, and it's just like they have two they have a, the adrift and then the sea um, word I think um, and they're just they're both like made from botanicals that grow in that region there's like sea buckthorn and grapefruit peel and all these, just like all these really pretty flavors. So I like to play with those a lot. Um, and then, you know, I think the Liars canned products, I mean, all of the Liars products are great, but they have the, like a canned Venetian spritz, which is like a aperitif spritz. They have like a canned, um, I think just like a canned, like non-alcoholic wine and a gin and tonic. And those are all like great to keep stock in your Bar fridge, uh, crack open when you just want to drink and don't want to put the effort into making something. I'm
1: currently, I'm currently looking at a liar's can GNT right on my shelf right over there. So, yeah, no, yeah. They're, they're, they're great. Um, Alex, I think this has come up before, but in general across this category, because they are, especially when we're talking about zero proof, because they are, um, they don't have alcohol like as a fortifier and a preservative. Most of these do have a shelf life, isn't that correct?
0: Yeah, and some of them need to be refrigerated and others don't, so it's important to look. Um, you know, for instance, Roots, uh, Roots Divino makes uh Bianco and a Rosso that are like kind of vermouth esque that need to be refrigerated after you open them. But the three spirits products do not need to be refrigerated, but the bottle will say their shelf life. Um, you know, mark it with a Sharpie when you open it so that, you know, um, but also just like check it for flavor and see if it's starting to fall off. Um, and if it is, then, you know, get a new one. Uh, yeah, but yeah, good, they do. They're not like, they're not like a bottle of gin, like they will expire.
1: Yeah. And a good excuse to, uh, to remember, cause like I've been there all the time, but like you get excited at the store and you buy something no matter what it is. And like a good incentive to come home and play with it a little bit, as opposed to like, a rainy day thing that you might, cause I, I, I had one of the liars, a pair of that I did use. Um, but at some point in time, I wasn't using it fast enough and I pulled it off the shelf and there was the green floaties right there in the top saying, mm. not, so, not so good anymore. So yeah, so just something to keep in mind for everybody out there. Yeah. Uh, first, this has been great. And I feel like we've covered a lot. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention at all other than obviously where people can find you and focus on health online? Anything that's come up top of mind for you?
0: I don't think so. Trying to rock my brain. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll just say if you're playing around with non-alcoholic cocktails at home, uh, and you don't know where to go, you know, you don't know where to start, reach out to, to a bartender you follow on social media. They'd probably be happy to, you know, whether that's me or somebody else that you really like, they'd probably be really happy to talk to you about it, um, and give you some recipes to play with or reach out to the brands as well. Like I'm sure that they would love to provide some inspiration for making drinks at home so that they could see their product on your home bar. Um, yeah. And if you're a, if you operate a business and you don't have non-alcoholic cocktails on your menu, you're losing money. <laughs> um, I am, yeah.
1: you know, as somebody who's I'm, I'm 40 and I'm, I'm here for the change. And like, I was out for a friend's party on Sunday and like I was drinking bush na's and life was great um it is so like i was at a bar uppity dance party bar on a friday night and like i saw the bartender regularly grabbing bear and making cocktails and it's like it's it is i am so here for it and it still surprises me when i see it and i'm i'm glad to see it too yeah so
0: yeah i think we're a little bit behind the uk but in the uk i think it's like one in I can't remember the exact number but I think it's like one in every 8 pints that's poured in the UK is non-alcoholic. Um so we're a few years behind but we'll get there and like you said earlier it's like no matter what kind of establishment you are like there are products available that makes sense for your establishment you know if you're a dive bar there are some really cool new non-alcoholic beers that fit your vibe you know you don't have to just carry cost dollar um you know yeah. oduals um and if you're a Fine dining restaurant, there's beautiful non-alcoholic wines available for you to have on your menu that come in 750 mil bottles. You know, there's really lovely non-alcoholic products that you can make cocktails with. Uh there's something for everyone. So there's no excuse to not have something.
1: Yeah. And with all and the final thing I'd say on that is that with the money that is pouring in, if you tried something before, especially if you just tried one thing, but if you tried something and you weren't plused by it, like, the market is accelerating in leaps and bounds in terms of uh, array of offering, but also caliber of product too.
0: Yeah. In 2000 and from 2021 to 2022, but it's July to July, it's not like the calendar year, but from that 12 month period, they saw 72 new non-alcoholic products introduced to the US market.
1: Right. Yeah. And like, clearly some of those won't make it. And some of them are like going to bring new flavor, new, new energy, et cetera. So, wow. Yeah. It's, it, it's wild to see just the proliferation, but we saw that with spirits and beer and wine. So now it's this category's turn right here.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Wonderful. Well, Alex, thanks so much for this. This has honestly been a, a real treat. I I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been a great time. Uh, so people, if they want to find us, focus on health. Our social media is at F O health. So F as in focus, O as in on, and then health is spelled out. And our website is fohealth.org. And then you can find me at, um, Axel jump on Instagram, A-X-L jump.
1: Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com newsletter, or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktail.